Well, good morning, everyone. How's everybody doing? Good. Uh, Fathers, happy Father's Day to all of you. Uh, I know, you know, it's funny because Mother's Day, the pastors put on this big song and it gets published on YouTube and all this stuff. And you guys don't get diddly, so I'm sorry about that. Uh, At the end time, when you walk out of here, you're going to be given some sweet tarts. So I'm not sure what that's all about, but enjoy your sweet tart. And, uh, but I do want to talk to you for just a second because, you know, first of all, I think that the role, it's my opinion that the role of a father is one of um, the most important as well as one of the most difficult roles on all the earth. Um, and I, I think some fathers forget that or they ignore that. And I just want to encourage you, don't. Don't ignore that. It is so very important. Um, whether you like it or not, the buck stops with you. Um, you are the leaders of your families. And uh, people are, the people in your family are looking to you as their leader. Um, you set the tone in your family. You know, one time Shauna told me, and I thought it was just brilliant. She said, Luke, you know, if you come home from work and you walk in the door and you're crabby and you're angry and you're just snotty, we're all going to take our cue off of you. And the next thing you know, the whole family is going to be upset and angry. And so as a leader, come in and just be encouraging and be you know, joyful, show the, show, be an example of Jesus. And I was like, wow, that's so, that's so important. You are the leader, Father, so take, take that, you know, to heart. Um, your children will draw their identity from what you say about them. I know you may not know that, but that's the truth. Uh, with your tongue, you have the ability to impart life or to impart death. And as a father, it's your job to impart life. And, and I want to just add this also. You know, the, the strength and the health of this church here at Whitestone will depend largely upon the health and strength of the fathers of this church. Uh, if fathers are running after Jesus and apprenticing themselves after him, then I guarantee you there will be mothers as well as children running after Jesus and apprenticing themselves after them. Um, as I said before, they will take their cue off of you. And so as a father, you are naturally called to leadership. That means you are held to a very high, you know, accountability. Don't shirk that responsibility. Don't shirk that accountability. Take it very, very, very seriously. Men, I am so proud of you. Uh, I could not think of a greater group of men and fathers to be in the trenches with against this kingdom of darkness than you guys. Uh, I love you very, very much, and I'm so proud to be your brother. And if I could just have all the fathers stand up where you're at right now, and I want to pray for you. Um, And for those of you who are sitting next to someone who's standing up, you may not even know them, I don't care. Put your hand on them and just, uh, in a sense, represent the body of Christ here and uh, join with me as we pray for them. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the fathers in this room. Um, You... God are the heavenly Father. You are the perfect example of what a father is like. And God, may the fathers in this room take their cue off of you. May they watch you, learn about you, study you, so that they might represent that in their families. God, I pray that you would empower them and equip them with strength and courage to be leaders in their families. May they impart life to their children. May they love their wives and represent Jesus to them. And I pray, God, that you would bless these men and may you bless their families and may they run after you with every fiber of their being. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's give the fathers a round of applause here.
children spoil your dads today, okay? Back rubs, foot rubs, feed them grapes as they lean back on their, you know, little recliner. You take care of them. This is their day. Honor them. Hear that, boys? He's on his phone. I'm not going to have any fun today. All right. Well, guys, I know last week we had our family meeting, so it was kind of a break uh, in between our series on the Holy Spirit, on our topic of spiritual gifts. Um, But we're going to pick up where we left off a couple weeks ago, and the topic we're going to talk about today is the gift of healing, the spiritual gift of healing. Like it says in Corinthians, Paul, you know, he says um, that certain people have been given the gifts of healing. And, you know, right at the onset, I want to say there's been a lot of controversy about this gift. There are people on every side of the coin with that. Theologically, some believe that the gift is still um, in practice today, that we're still available to pray for healing. There's some people who don't believe that. Um, Some believe that it's ceased and you can no longer, you know, experience healing. And so I'm going to try to give a balanced biblical view on the topic of of healing, and you can chew on it and you can come to your own decision based on what the Word of God says. But I will say this, I think it's a whole lot simpler than the books and the teachers try to make it out to be. Um, But I'll let you decide on that as well. But to kind of just lay down some basic facts before we get into the healing, the first thing you need to understand and realize is that when it comes to sickness and um, disease, all of that is a result of the fall of mankind, the fall of Adam and Eve. Sickness and disease are simply a ripple effect of sin in this world. It is part of the curse of sin. And the ultimate end of that curse of sin is that it will lead to what? Death, exactly. Sickness and disease are a result of the curse of sin, and it will lead to death. Whether you like it or not, Whitestone, the reality is is that one day you are going to die. And you can thank sin for that. Sin is the culprit. Sin brings death. And part of that death is sickness and disease. Um, But sin is the culprit of it. That's the curse of sin. However, there is some good news to be had in regards to that. Because Jesus on the cross, when he gave his life for us, he redeemed us from the curse of sin. Amen? He redeemed us from the curse of sin, and he accomplished that by by the work he did on that cross. How do we know that to be true? Because Scripture tells us in many different places. One of the places in in Isaiah 53, this is a passage talking about Jesus. It says this, Surely he took up our infirmities, and by his wounds we are healed. Now, this was a prophetic passage in the book of Isaiah, spoken about Jesus years and years before Jesus even showed up on the scene. And this entire passage speaks of the mighty work on the cross. And in this These two verses, the two parts of this verse, deal specifically of what we're talking about today. Surely he took up our infirmities, and by his wounds we are healed. Now something you need to understand is that these verses refer to both physical healing as well as spiritual healing. Okay, It refers to both of that. Now how do we know that? Because the New Testament gives reference to this passage, and it it, kind of references both the spiritual and physical. Let me show you what I mean by that. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, Peter says this. He goes, He himself, Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the tree, on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. And then Peter quotes that passage in Isaiah. He goes, 
by his wounds you have been healed. So what Peter is saying there, he says, by his wounds, you have been spiritually healed so that you can die to sin and live for righteousness. It's a spiritual healing that Jesus accomplished for us on that cross. But it's not just a spiritual. It's also a physical. Now, here's, here's why I can say that. In the book of Matthew, chapter 8, it says this. It says, when evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, that's Jesus, and he drove out the spirits with a word, and he healed all the sick. Now, Matthew goes to quote from Isaiah. He goes, this was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and carried our diseases. Jesus was physically healing those who came to him, and Matthew makes a point to mention that this refers to the passage in Isaiah that he took up our infirmities and our diseases. So what you need to see is Jesus not only provided spiritual healing, he provided physical healing on that cross. We can clearly see that Jesus broke the curse of sin. Amen? And that's the truth. Christ on the cross has purchased us for, for us not only complete freedom from sin and freedom from the, the spiritual dynamic of sin, but also complete freedom from physical weakness and disease. Complete freedom. Now, I have to say that our full and complete possession of this freedom, possession of all the benefits that Christ has earned for us, will not come until Christ returns, okay? It's only at his coming that we will receive the complete and full healing, both spiritually and physically. It's only at his coming that we're going to get these brand new resurrected bodies. And that's when, you know, it says in Revelation, that's when it's going to be, there will be no more death, there will be no more pain, and there will be no more tears. Amen? Man, I cannot wait for that day. But that's when the full completion of what Jesus did on the cross is going to come into fruition. But the question we need to ask ourselves then is, is well, if that's going to come in its totality then, is, is it God's heart that from time to time he would kind of give us a foretaste of that? Would it, would it, would it be God's heart that he would kind of give us little droplets of what it's going to be like in the future? Can he and will he do that for us? Will he still provide healing kind of as a picture of what it's going to be like? And the answer to that is 100% yes. How do we know that? Because the ministry of Jesus shows us that. You know, last year I spent quite a while talking about how Jesus came to show us and give us a picture of what God the Father is like. So if you want to get to know God the Father, you need to get to know Jesus because he's the exact representation of him. I know a lot of people just they don't like the Father, but we like Jesus. Well, Jesus is the perfect picture of the Father. And when you see Jesus, you're getting a perfect picture of what he's like. So if that's the case, the fact that Jesus healed all those with disease who came to him, that shows us the heart of the Father. The Father wants to heal those who are under the bondage of the enemy and suffering from pain and disease. If Jesus wanted to heal these people, then we can be sure that God the Father wanted it. We see the heart of God in the life of Jesus. 
And we also not only see that in Jesus, but we also see it in the, in the life of the church. The early church went around healing and setting people free from the bondage of the enemy. And so we see that this is clearly signifying a part of the ministry of the new covenant that we find ourselves in. It's the body of Christ simply carrying out the work of Christ on the earth. You see, if Jesus found it necessary to go around and preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick, then as his body here on this earth, we need to go around and preach the kingdom of God and heal people from their sicknesses. Heal all those from under the bondage of, of the enemy, spiritually and physically. That's our job. So yes, we can see God time to time giving us a foretaste of what's going to come. It's like partial manifestations of the kingdom of God. We see it happening now, giving us a peek as to what it's going to be like one day when Christ returns. That's the gift of healing. The gift of healing is this manifestation, this partial manifestation of what it's going to be like one day. We get little glimpses of it, okay? The blessings of the kingdom of God will be complete one day, but they're not fully ours yet right now, okay? Does that make sense? Everybody following with me? Yes? Okay, good. All right. Next thing we need to work out then is what's the purpose of healing? And I know you might think, well, that's pretty obvious, Luke. It's to get healed. And, and that is true, but there are some very key purposes to healing. I just want to touch on four of them. First is this. Key purpose of healing is to authenticate the message of the gospel. Okay? It's to authenticate and show the world that the kingdom of God has come to earth. Okay? It's to show the world around us that, hey, you may not see God, you may not see the invisible realm, but he's at work. He's here and he's working. And when there is a physical healing, people go, whoa, yes, you're right. The kingdom of God is here and at work. So that's a number one reason. Number two, it brings comfort and health to those who are sick and it demonstrates God's mercy. That's a pretty obvious one. Number three, it equips people for service as physical barriers are removed, okay? So in other words, if you're sick, let's say that you're blind, okay? There is a limitation to what you're able to do. Well, when God removes the blindness, suddenly you're able to move about freely and to be used by God even in a more, you know, real and powerful way. So those physical barriers are removed. Fourthly, it provides opportunity for God to be glorified. As people see evidence of his goodness and his love and his mercy and his wisdom and his presence here on the earth, it's going gonna, it's gonna to allow God to be glorified. So those are some very clear purposes as to why the Spirit of God imparts the gift of healing. Now, let's kind of talk about how we see healing happening in the New Testament, okay? Um, like what methods were used when someone was healed. And I'm not saying this because we need to come up with a formula, but we do need to see how did God work through his son and through the early church, okay? And the first way is this. I want you to look at this verse here. It says, when the sun was setting, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness. And laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Now take a look at that verse, and I want you to tell me what physical act is being done right here. A laying on of hands, exactly. Laying on of hands seems to have been the primary means that Jesus used to heal. Because when we see people coming to him, a lot of times people would ask 
that Jesus would lay his hands on them. For instance, you remember the story of Jairus and his daughter? His daughter had died. He comes to Jesus, and this is what he says. He goes, Jesus, my daughter has just died, but come and what? Put your hand on her, and she will live. Now, like I said, I don't think we look for a formula here. It's not like we go, okay, so Jesus placed his hand on the dead girl, and she came to life. I really wonder where he put his hand and how he did it. Was it like this? You know, was it like... You know, was it like that? How did Jesus do that? Because we want to get it exactly. Like we look for a formula. We want to copy it and see, you know, see what happens. No, we don't do that. However, if Jesus did it, and we're Jesus' apprentices, then we need to be, go about and laying hands on people just as he did. Okay? Not as a formula, but because we see our Lord doing it. And it says that Jesus laid his hands on people. I will tell you this. I certainly don't think that Jesus did it the way we see happen in our world today. I don't think Jesus walked around around, in the name of Jesus, boom, and knocked people over. I don't think that Jesus did that. I think it was a very gentle and loving touch. You know, whenever I pray for someone for healing, I will usually place my hand on them because I think that the power of touch is truly amazing. It really is. It communicates love. One of my favorite stories, and I've told this many times, is a story of when this little leper came running up to Jesus. And uh, he runs up to Jesus, and he falls down on the floor before him, and, and he said, Jesus, if you're willing, you can heal me. And the first thing you need to know about this story is that lepers are not to be coming. They are not to be running up to people. According to the law back then, lepers, whenever people were approaching them, they were supposed to yell out, hey, I'm a leper. I've got leprosy. I'm unclean. Stay away. And they were supposed to warn people of that. They were never supposed to run up to people because if they did, they could be put to death. That was the law. But this leper comes running up to Jesus, falls before his feet, and he says, Jesus, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And those of you who know the story, what was the very first thing Jesus did? He reached out his hand, and he touched him. Now, why is that so precious? Because this leper, I'm sure, had not been touched for years. He had not received the loving embrace of his wife. He had not received his little kids hugging his legs or sitting in his lap and hugging his neck. He hadn't been touched because he had this horrible, unclean disease. But what's the very first thing Jesus does? He touches him. And he says, you know what? I am willing. Be healed. It's such an act of love when we touch someone. And I always consider the laying on of hands to be kind of a physical symbol of being touched by God himself. I mean, think about it. If we're the body of Christ, if we're his hands and feet and and, and mouth and ears, if, if we're his hands, when we touch someone, we lay our hands on someone, we should let them know that this is symbolically for them to understand that they're receiving a touch from Jesus himself. We're the body of Christ, and I think that's a powerful symbol. Another physical symbol of God, specifically the Holy Spirit in the area of healing, is found in this verse. Take a look at this one. James 5.14, it says, Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. Tell me, what physical act is being done here? The anointing of oil, okay? Now let me ask you, do you think it's the oil that's bringing the healing in this instance? 
Come on, third service. You're usually my wild group. No, no, not at all. In fact, the next verse tells us this. It goes, in the prayer offered in faith, will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. It's not the oil that does the healing. It's the prayer offered in faith. The oil represents or symbolizes the working of the Holy Spirit. It's a physical symbol. Very often, when the elders at Whitestone are asked to come and pray for people, we will anoint them with oil because that's what the book of James tells us to do. It's not a formula. It's simply a symbol that represents the, that God is working. So the question we need to ask then, okay, if that's what Jesus did and everything, how, how do we pray for healing? And I think before we even go there, I think we should ask the question, should we pray for healing? Is it, is it true that we should pray for healing? Because I'm sure there's gonna be, we're going to encounter a lot of sick people. Should we be praying for healing for these sick people? And I'm going to say this, that I believe it's absolutely right and good to ask God for healing. If you're ever wondering whether you should pray for someone's healing or not, the answer is always yes. Jesus himself, in the Lord's Prayer, he says this. He says, pray, pray like this. Deliver us from what? Evil. Jesus says we're to pray and ask God to deliver us from evil. Well, praying for healing is exactly that. It's asking for deliverance from evil. And not only that, like I mentioned earlier, Jesus clearly displayed the heart of God by healing all those that he healed, the people who came to them. He healed them because he loved them. So for us to pray for people's healing shows the people that we love them. So yes, we are to pray for healing. But how? How do we pray for healing? And the answer simply is this. Listen to me. We pray by faith. It's that simple. We pray by faith. And let me just say this. Do not, do not fall into the trap of having the right formula. It is the human tendency for us to come up with a little formula that's going to work to bring healing. And if we come up with a formula that we think is going to work to bring healing, tell me, what are we putting our trust in? The formula. And that's not faith. We, we think, oh, if we say these words and we put our hands right here and the temperature's just right and there's just enough amount of people here, then boom, healing's going to happen. That's not what we're called to do. It is a prayer to be offered by faith. Remember the verse in James, it says, the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. Faith is the catalyst for healing. In some places, Jesus didn't heal because the people didn't have faith. Faith will be the conduit of miraculous healing, not a formula. I told this story last November, but remember we, we had a phase one discipleship class and we were about halfway through the season. And a young lady who was married and had kids, she was sitting there and tears were streaming down her face before the class and we asked her, we said, what's wrong? She says, well, I just came from the doctor and they did ultrasound. I had this pain in my, in my abdomen down here and... and they did an ultrasound and there's all these cancerous tumors in my uterus. And they're going to have to go in there and they're going to have to take out the entire uterus. And she goes, I'm just broken. I just, I'm, just, I'm just so beat up right now. And you know, it was a small class, but a pretty tight class. And we didn't know what to do. We didn't know what to say. And we're just a ragtag group of people. And, but we all got up and we were all crying. And we gathered around us and some of us knelt. Some of us stood and we just all prayed for her. We put our hands on her. 
And we just pray for her. We just, we just ask God to work a miracle on behalf of this woman that we love so much. Two weeks later, she comes to class and she has this big old smile on her face. And we said, what's going on? You know, we're kind of scared to ask, but she said, what's going on? She says, guys, I, I went in for surgery. And right before the surgery, I asked the doctor, I said, is there a chance that you could do an ultrasound first? She said, sure. So she went and did an ultrasound and all the tumors were gone, completely gone. God had healed her. Yeah. And you've never seen a group of discipleship class so excited. I mean, we were, we were just cheering and shouting and praising God, and we were just we were excited. But what does that mean, a prayer offered in faith? Well, we need to review what faith is. And we spent all last year kind of unpacking the whole topic of faith. But our definition of faith that we've been using here at Whitestone is this. Faith is a belief in the unseen reality of God and His kingdom. It is a belief. And what is a belief? It means to act out as if it were true. If you believe something, you act out as if it were true. It's to act out as if God were really real, and you know what He is. And His kingdom is at work all around us. We can't see it, but we know it's true. And faith just simply goes throughout life knowing that God is at work, He's here, and I'm going to interact with Him. I'm going to work with Him, and He's going to work with me. That's what faith is. And if we believe God is real and here and at work all around us, then we're going to pray knowing that He, the great healer, is hearing us and acting on our behalf. That's what faith is. It, faith does not get conjured up. I think sometimes we think it does need to be. Like if we're going to pray for someone for healing, we're like, oh boy, I gotta be, I gotta get my faith going. I gotta get this going. All right. And maybe, you know, we just, uh, we might kneel down or we might grab our Bible and we're like, all right. And then we walk in and we're like, okay, let's go. All right. We pray. And we think that's gonna conjure up the faith. Faith isn't conjured up. You either have it or you don't. You either believe God is real and he's working or you don't. And a prayer offered up in faith is just me knowing that I'm talking to God. He's real. He's working. I know He hears me. And I'm just asking Him to work a miracle in this person's life that I'm praying for because I know He can. I know He can. You know, it's, this may be oversimplified, but it's, it's kind of like this. Let's say I'm facing this direction like you guys are, and we're looking this way, and we cannot see the PowerPoint guy. But we know He's here. We know that he's at work, but we can't see him. And so a prayer of faith is me just simply saying, hey, Glenn, could you move to the next slide? And he does it. Hey, Glenn, could you, could you back up two slides? And he does it. I, I know that seems way too simple, but that's a prayer of faith. Because you know God is here. You know he's real. And you're just simply asking him to work. That's a prayer of faith. And guys, that's essentially what happened in that discipleship class. Like I said, we were just a group of ragtag people. We just got around there. We didn't have any fancy words or any formula, but we just knew God could hear us. And we asked him to work, and he did. And he got all the glory. I mean, this class was celebrating. And you know, that's an important point to consider. When we pray in faith, asking God to work on our behalf, we must always and you need to hear me on this. 
we must always pray that God would be glorified in the situation. Not the healer. I think a lot of times, you know, the healer, when we pray for someone and there's a healing, they're like, wow, man, you have an incredible gift. That was incredible. And you're like, well, I mean, no, sir, whatever. And we like, we like to take that glory. Guys, glory's too hot to handle. Pass it off to the one who can handle it. But we need to give God the glory in every situation, whether he chooses to heal or not. We give him the glory. And when we pray this way, God will sometimes, and, and dare I say perhaps often, grant answers to our prayer. And you know, I think it's important for us to tell the person that we're praying for, to tell them this, to tell them that, hey, God is a God who often heals. And we know that it's God's heart to deliver us from evil and to bring us healing in most situations. The person needs to hear this. Now, there might be some of you who kind of bristle to that and you go, Luke, that's kind of, it's kind of dangerous ground there because what if you're going to pray for someone and you say, you know, God, he wants to heal. He's going to heal. He often heals. And you, you're setting them up for a disappointment because what if you pray for healing for them and they don't get healed? They're going to be disappointed. They may get angry at you. They may get angry at the church. And they may get angry at God. And it's just going to be this big detriment to this person. And you know what? You're right. That's a possibility. And so those who are praying for healing, we must use caution and wisdom and love in how we talk to people about this because we never want to do any harm to anyone. And I think we need to be careful that we, we just show wisdom there. But having said that, I don't think it's wisdom to go the opposite direction. I think we make a huge mistake to go the opposite direction. Like, for instance, I don't think it's a great idea to come up to somebody and be like, hey, listen, before we pray, Johnny, uh, just so you know, God very rarely ever heals anyone. Um, I've never experienced any healing. I haven't seen him heal anyone, so don't expect anything to happen. Please don't get your hopes up. I don't want you to get your hopes up here, but we're going to pray anyways. Let's just pray. I don't think we should do that. It's a mistake. It doesn't do anything for faith. And certainly we cannot make the mistake of never praying for people. We cannot be like, well, I really don't think God heals, so I'm just not going to pray for people. I think that's a horrible mistake to make. We always choose to pray. You know, prayerlessness, in my opinion, is simply a clear result of unbelief. If you aren't praying, the truth probably is, is you don't believe. And if you don't believe, you won't pray. We cannot make that mistake, Whitestone. Because God does heal. He does heal. I was just laying in bed last night going through all my pictures. And I don't know why, but I have Jim Schaefer's pictures of his throat. And my, now Shauna goes, that's gross. I'm like, it's awesome. But Jim and Kathy Schaefer came in, and it was an annual budget meeting. Not some spiritual, awesome healing service. It was a budget meeting. And he walked in the doors, and he had tears in his eyes. And I said, Jim, what's wrong? And he goes, I just came from the doctor. And my throat has cancerous tumor in it. My, my vocal cords are all spiderwebbed, and they're going to have to go in there. and have to cut it all out. And I'm going to have to go through speech therapy and all this stuff. And he goes, I'm just... 
just overwhelmed. I'm just broken. So before the annual budget meeting, the group of 30 or 40 people, whoever's here, we just gathered around Jim, and it wasn't anything magical. It wasn't anything, you know, formula or whatever. We just prayed for him, knowing that God could hear. And you know what? Two or three weeks later, he went in for surgery. <laughs> I think this is awesome. He gets the little shot or whatever the junk is that knocks you out, and he's like, oh. and they wheel him into the surgery. The doctor goes in there, and there's nothing there completely healed he took a picture and he has the before and the after and it's awesome so i'm there on my phone last night looking at these before and after and i'm like god does heal he does heal here's the deal whitestone god frequently heals today i myself have witnessed it miraculous healing but having said that, we must also realize that we live in an age that while the kingdom of God is already here, it's not fully here. Now what does that mean? It means that Christians in this life will experience healing and they will experience many other answers to prayer, but they will also experience illness and eventually die. I have many dear friends and family who are followers of Jesus Christ who are still sick today. And I have many friends and family who have already died. They went on to be with Jesus. Now why is that the case? Because the kingdom of God is not fully er here on earth as it is in heaven. That day has not yet come. And so, in each individual case, it is God's wisdom and divine wisdom that decides the outcome. Our role is to simply ask him, to petition him, and to wait for the answer. And I know this may seem trite, it may seem too simple, but it's the truth. The answer may be no. But the answer may be yes. And the answer may be, just keep praying, just wait. I know that may seem too simple, but it's the truth. The fact of the matter is, we just keep praying. We keep petitioning God. We do not, Whitestone, resort to prayerlessness. We do not resort to prayerlessness. Amen? Please don't resort to that. But let's say that the answer seems to be no. What if God doesn't heal? What do we do if God doesn't heal? We've prayed for someone and God hasn't healed him. What are we supposed to do in that situation? Well, let me tell you, first of all, what not to do. If you pray for someone to get healed and they don't get healed, you don't tell them, well, Johnny, the truth is God wants to heal, and if you aren't healed, then you must not have enough faith. If you had enough faith, you would be healed. I have met many, many, many people who have been told that, and it has wreaked damage in their life that kind of belief is a cruel teaching going around today that's not supported by scripture so don't do it please it's not a loving thing to do so what do we do if we pray for someone and they aren't healed what do we do well guys we must realize that not all prayers for healing will be answered in this age sometimes God will not answer a prayer offered in faith. 
At times, God will choose not to heal because of his own divine sovereign purposes. I don't know why. I don't have the answers. There have been times I have begged God on my knees over and over and over again to heal someone, and he hasn't. And it's a tough thing to experience. It's hard. And in those, case, those cases, the first thing we must do for that person is to continue to show them compassion. It can be such a great disappointment when someone who desperately wants to be healed isn't healed. Over and over and over again to be prayed for and not healed can just be heartbreaking for a person. And in those cases, we must show those people deep, deep compassion. You know, we can't let our insecurities harden our hearts in those cases. Sometimes we have deep insecurities because we, we feel like it's out of our control and we, it just freaks us out. And sometimes it's so hard to see someone suffer and when we don't see them healed, we feel like we need to come up with some pretty awesome answers and say the right words to make ourselves feel better. And we can throw out all sorts of comments to these people. Hey, life is tough. We all suffer. There's just suffering in the world. God doesn't promise us a bed of roses. He promises that in this world we're going to have troubles. So it's what you're experiencing. Hey, in Hebrews, some people were getting their heads chopped off. At least you're not getting your heads chopped off. You laugh. That's been said before. And on and on the comments go. You know, someone recently just died. Someone we've been praying for and asking God to heal, but God chose not to. And someone in the visitation line came up to someone in the family and wanting to feel good about themselves, they said this. They said, well, it is the circle of life. Really? That's your words of comfort? Now, the truth is those things are true. They are true. But saying those things do not bring comfort to those who are in pain and suffering. What they need is compassion and gentleness. They need to be reminded that in Romans 8, 28, it says we know that all things, in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him and who are called according to His purpose. I don't know why you're suffering. I I don't have all the answers. And it kills me to see you suffer. But we can cling to God's Word that He can and will use the suffering in your life to work good. He can and will use the suffering to advance His kingdom on this earth. So I know that you don't feel like God is using you in your sickness, but that isn't true. He can use your sickness through this pain and this suffering to work good and to extend his kingdom. Don't give up. Don't grow bitter. God is still using you. We can remind them what Paul says in the book of Romans of what is yet to come. Where Paul says, I consider that our present sufferings aren't even worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. I can't imagine what you're going through right now. I can't. But man, if this helps at all, what you have to look forward to can even be compared to anything on this earth. And I realize you're groaning inwardly and your body is reeked with pain day in and day out. But one day, one day, your body's going to be redeemed and you're going to have a brand new 
glorified body free of pain. For in this hope we are saved. Give the person hope. Refresh them with hope. You know what I've noticed is that those of us who aren't sick and those of us who aren't suffering, we rarely even look towards the future and the hope that we've been given. We don't even focus on that. But I tell you, the people who suffer day in and day out with pain and suffering, they cling to this night and day. It's their lifeline. That one hope, as it says there, is their salvation. And so remind them of this. And lastly, I could go on and on with this point, but I don't have time. But lastly, what I'd recommend is continue to pray for their healing. But in the meantime, until their healing, keep asking God to make His presence real in a very real, tangible, visible way. You know, sometimes pain, those of you who struggle with pain day in and day out, sometimes pain can darken one's soul. It can remove the very ability to sense the presence of God. Pain is suffocating. And so pray that God manifests Himself in the midst of that pain to the person you're praying for because I tell you, the enemy is working hard on that person in the midst of their pain and he's trying to destroy them. But your prayers are powerful. And you can rescue them in their time of need. You can shore them up with your prayer and you can be a lifeline. That's what you can do if healing doesn't come. Now, I'm running out of time. But let me see if I can tie all this up. I know we've bounced around on the topic of healing, but let me quickly go through some bullet points and hit on some main topics. First thing, guys, when it comes to healing, it is God's heart to heal. We see it in the life of Jesus. We see it in Scripture. It is God's heart to heal. And God will often answer our prayers for healing. And I do believe that as children of God, we all should be praying for healing. We have the Spirit of God within us. We might not have the gift of healing, but we should all be praying for healing. And faith will be the conduit for healing. There isn't a formula. It's just faith. Knowing that God is real. And he's at work. And he hears our prayers. And guys, in every situation, we pray that God be glorified through it all, whether he heals or he doesn't. We pray for that. We want God to be glorified. And then lastly, those who find their prayers for healing, are, that they're answered more you know, frequently and more thoroughly than others, well, I would tell you, you probably have the gift of healing. As you go out into this world and you pray for healing and you see God answer and God answer and God answer you know, in a very powerful way, you probably have been given the gift of healing. And what I would encourage you to do is to be used by God to edify the church. To build up the church. To build up the group of believers that God has put you in. You know what a lot of people do when they receive the gift of healing? They want to set up their own healing ministry. They want to travel the world. They want to have these big evangelistic crusades and it's all about them. They get on TV and it's like, oh, I have the gift of healing and boom, come on up here, make your line. You know what, guys? If God gave you the gift of healing, you're meant to use it here because there's plenty of sick people here. Build up the body of believers here. And when you do, don't take one bit of the glory because it's all God's. Amen? Guys, in a few moments, we're going we're gonna to start worshiping. 
And uh, during those worship songs, what I'm going to ask is that those of you who are on the prayer team, come on up here. And just stand in front. Those of the elders who are here and any pastors here, just come on up. And if you're struggling with a physical disease or sickness, if you're struggling with some emotional thing or addictions, whatever it might be where you just feel like you're under the bondage of the enemy, I would ask that you would just come up and just allow the people to pray for you. We, we want to offer up prayers of faith on your behalf. And so while everyone's singing, you just come up here and I'm going to ask those who are praying to just gently lay your hand on the person. And those of you who are receiving the prayer, I want you to acknowledge the fact that we are the body of Christ. And so that touch, let it represent a touch from Jesus. And just experience that, okay? Let me pray real quick. Heavenly Father, thank You for Your Word. I thank You for Your Holy Spirit that imparts just amazing gifts to build up Your body here on earth. And God, I pray as we begin to worship and we begin to pray for people who are coming up, I pray if there's anyone who's scared or nervous wants to come up but just too, too scared, I pray that you would just remove any fear. You'd bind the enemy there and you would allow them to come up. And God, I pray that you would work in a mighty way. In Jesus' name, amen.